I love that the love of God transcends borders, it transcends language, it transcends every barrier known to mankind, amen. That's what we're gonna look at today, the power of God breaking through for hope for me and you. My name is Dan Hammer, I have the privilege of being the senior pastor here and whether this is your first time here and I look around and I see some new faces and new friends, we'd love to connect with you after the service or, um, or you've been here a long, long time. You're a family here, whether you're in person or online, we're just thankful for you and so glad that you are with us. So we're gonna, we're gonna continue in John chapter one today in our Christmas series called the Christmas in the Neighborhood. And so if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we have one for you in the back. If you, or if you want to look it up on your phone, John chapter 1 is where we're going to be today as God continues to work in a big way here at Harvest. And we are going to celebrate communion at the end of the service. And so if you're here, that's what the cup is on your seat in front of you or at where you are. And if you're at home, uh, feel free to grab any cracker, any cookie, any, any morsel that you have around or uh, any, and some juice and uh, get ready to celebrate at the end of the service all that Jesus has done uh, for us. Now, question for you guys. Who here still reads magazines? Some of y'all are like, what's a magazine? Um, well, in 1988, yes, before some of your time, um, on Time Magazine, on the cover, it looked like this. You'll see a picture of it on the screen. A picture of Jesus, and it said, who was Jesus? Answering and pursuing an age-old question. That's the question that we're going to ask today. It's a question that changes everything for you and me, how we answer it. Is Jesus just a man? Is he a myth? Or is he a Messiah? Is he a prophet? Is he a teacher? Or is he truly the Son of God? As C.S. Lewis famously once said, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's your Lord. Depending how you count, there are over 200 names and titles for Jesus throughout Scripture. Over Thanksgiving break, my father, who's retiring from many, many decades in vocational ministry, gave me his favorite wall hanging, which is now upstairs in our office, which depicts many of the names of Jesus Christ and the texts for it. We looked at last week how the mission is the neighborhood, and the series is Christmas for the neighborhood. Today, we're going to see how John has a message for the neighborhood. Jesus came with a purpose, and John is going to outline to his Gentile, to the Gentile recipients, to um, to the Hebrew recipients, the message of Christmas, the message for the neighborhood. Because from Lamb of God to Lord of Lords, from Holy One to Great High Priest, from I Am to Emmanuel, from the Lion of Judah to Living Water, from Advocate to Alpha and Omega, all of these names and titles depict the character of Jesus, describe the heart of Jesus, and reveal the mission of Jesus as they display the divinity of Jesus. This is the name of Jesus. The question is, who is Jesus to you? The name of Jesus and Jesus himself has the power to transform your heart and life. He shines light into the darkness. He provides life from what was once dead. He changes everything for you and me. The choice laid before us is how to respond to the reality of who Jesus is to us. And maybe you're here this morning and your initial response to that is to deny Jesus. You're welcome here and I'm glad you're here. We're all on a journey here. Maybe you just don't believe, or maybe you actually actively combat it. 
Maybe you choose to ignore him. That's your response to who Jesus is. Maybe you're an agnostic. I don't think it's possible to really know. Maybe you acknowledge him. Yeah, Jesus intellectually, he was a son of God. Did you know that even the demons acknowledged Jesus Christ? Or maybe, just maybe, you believe him. And you have put your faith and your trust in him and you've chosen to follow him as a disciple. That is the response that Jesus is hoping and looking for from us. And I pray that is your response today. But whatever your response is, it will change everything for you both in eternity and here on earth. No choice is actually a choice. It's a choice to not believe, whether you find yourself in the denial category or the ignoring category. It is a choice to not believe. Today, we're going to see the message of the gospel, and Jesus Christ is very, very clear. The question is, what is your response? The message of Christmas is hope breaking through for you and for me once and for all. No longer do we have to walk in darkness, and I don't know what darkness is surrounding you right now. I don't know what darkness is following you or closing in on you, and maybe it's a health crisis. Maybe it's an emotional wrestling. Maybe it's just mental uh, just strife. Maybe it's a relational struggle. I don't know what it is, but the reality of the text here today is that you don't have to live in darkness. No longer do you have to be a victim to the darkness around you because Jesus provides victory and hope for the heart that is inside of you. Praise God, amen. He is here. Hope is here to change everything for you. Who is Jesus to you? The darkness is real. We're not denying the darkness, but we are elevating the deliverer. Here's a big idea. Who Jesus is, is to me determines everything for me. Everything, both here on earth and for eternity. He is hope. He is peace. He is joy. All the things that you are searching for, whether you realize it or not, are found only in and ultimately through Jesus Christ. And yes, your eternal destination is on the line based on who you respond and how you respond to who Jesus is. Do you choose to believe and get to spend eternity with Jesus or do you choose to deny? In whatever category of denial you find yourself, denial is denial. And you will spend eternity far away from Jesus Christ. I pray today that you would choose to believe. Here's our heart and our prayer as we go to the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for who you are. Thank you for sending Jesus. This is your message for all of us to the neighborhood back then, to the neighborhood now. And to our hearts and to those that are around us, that you, Jesus, are the Christ, the son of the living God, who came to break through the darkness once and for all and provide us hope in all of eternal life. Father, I pray that your words would penetrate all of our hearts and provide us with hope in our anxiety, provide us peace in, in the middle of our worry, provide us victory in the struggles that we are walking through right now. We realize the external circumstances of our life might not change, but we acknowledge and we declare today that you can and you will change the internal condition of our heart to give us a strength to endure and persevere no matter how significant the storms that we are walking through right now. Praise you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would just silence our hearts and eliminate distractions and do what you promised to do. Encourage and exhort, convict and compel. Lead us into your truth. God, and help us to become more and more like you, we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 1. We're going to be in John chapter 1, 1 through 18, this next three or four weeks leading up to and including Christmas Eve. 
And today we're going to look at John chapter 1, the first five verses. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. We launched this series last week, uh, looking at John chapter 1, verse 14. And we see that, and the word became flesh, looking at Jesus' humanity and the mission that he was on and dwelt among us and, and moved into the neighborhood, as one translation says. And he moved into the neighborhood with a purpose. And here's his purpose. Here's the message from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. This is the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Remember that we looked at last week, and just for a brief recap, that the synopsis, the thesis statement, the... uh, is found that John writes, and this is the apostle John writing, the beloved apostle, the one that Jesus loved dearly and entrusted his mother to on the cross. He wrote this in John 20, 31. He said that these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And maybe you walked in here this morning not really sure that life is possible for you. Man, this promises of God's heart is that life is here for you. And this is a message. Jesus is, because Jesus is life. So who is Jesus? John, in his message, is gonna, is gonna proclaim three parts of the reality of who Jesus is to us today. This is his message from the neighborhood, and the message starts in our hearts and goes to those around us. The first part of John's message is this. Jesus is the word, the word, right there, from verse one, chapter one, in the beginning was the word, and he's talking about Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Words are powerful, are they not? And they are having immense power, and there's intentionality in the words that John chooses to use right here. And in saying the word, he is specifically referring to Jesus Christ. This is a powerful declaration of Jesus Christ's deity, and he's in a powerful proclamation of the Trinity. Now, the Trinity is a reality that there is one God, but that one God exists within three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. All three are unique, but all three are perfectly unified with missional alignment. Each Trinity member has a distinct responsibility in our salvation, in your salvation. First, God the Father sends. And then God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, he saves. And then God the Holy Spirit secures and seals through the process of regeneration and indwelling. Praise God, amen. Now, while other religions might treat Jesus Christ like a God or one of many gods, and this text is vitally important for us as believers, as Christians, to anchor in the reality of Jesus' divinity that he is not just one of a bunch of other gods or a God. He is the God. He is the God. He was with God and the word was God. Jesus always was, he always is, and he always will be. Paul writes in Colossians 2.9, for in Jesus the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Praise God. And this text teaches us this beautiful reality of Jesus' divinity. Jesus is preexistent. In the beginning was the word. He has always existed. He was never created. He always was. 
Our finite minds can't really wrap around that. He, was outboard, he existed outside of time. And then he broke through time to come live with you and me and pay the price for our sin. In his own words in Jesus' prayer in John 17, 5, he said right before he went to the cross the night before, he said, now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is talking about Jesus' eternity past. So Jesus is pre-existent. Jesus is also co-existent. In verse 1, chapter 1, he and the word was with God. He was unified as a perfect member of the Trinity, perfectly unified with God. And so he is pre-existent. He is co-existent. He is also, Jesus is also self-existent. By that, I mean that he is unique and distinct. The word was God. Jesus is God, distinctly. Distinctly. In claiming here that John, in John's proclamation that Jesus is the word, he is declaring the reality that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises while embodying perfectly all of God's character and nature. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 1, and I, I love how Nate led us through this in worship. He's, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all of the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus Christ. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So Jesus is here is the, what this John is declaring. This is beautiful theology. He is the, praise, the fulfillment of all of God's promises, and he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law, the sacrificial system, required a perfect sacrifice to pay for our sins. Jesus was God, which enabled him the authority and the ability to perfectly pay for our sins because while he was tempted in every way that you and I were, as Hebrews says, he was without sin. He was a perfect sacrifice. So he needed to be fully God and fully man at the same time to pay our price fully and praise God he was, amen? That's our savior, Jesus Christ. And in this text, if in the beginning, the first three words here of chapter one, verse one, sound a little familiar, do they sound familiar? Yes, because they are. John is drawing our attention all the way back to creation from Genesis chapter one, verse one, where the first three words of scripture are what? In the beginning. Here are the first four verses of scripture in Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. God broke through in creation. He broke through the darkness in creation. God is now breaking through again in the story of Christmas, the darkness of this world by sending his son Jesus. And Jesus will ultimately break through once and for all the darkness of sin on the cross, amen, and pay the penalty for you and I. So while, create, while Christmas is glorious, Christmas is pointing us back to creation. It is echoing of creation past, and it is looking forward to the cross. So the incarnation reflects back on creation while also projecting forward to the crucifixion and the resurrection. We have an amazing God, don't we? Because God created us in relationship in Genesis 1 and 2. He created man in perfect relationship with him because he wants a restored relationship with you, a perfect, unbroken relationship. Genesis 3, sin enters the world. Like, and then immediately, Genesis 3.15, he begins the promise God does to pursue us. He says, one day there will come one who will crush the heel of the serpent. That is, Genesis 3.15 is the first 
proclamation of the gospel. In that moment, he is looking forward, God is, to Christmas, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, and ultimately to the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection where the victory will one day be won, where one day God's light will penetrate the darkness and there will be, the power of darkness will be subsided. Praise God, amen. Jesus in this moment is beginning to usher in, which will ultimately happen at the crucifixion and the resurrection, the new covenant. Not to, to fulfill the old covenant. Jesus is providing re- redemption and restoration. This text in John 1 is, is reinforcing the reality that all things were made through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the creator and he's our savior. And just like God used Jesus, God the Father worked through Jesus Christ, God the Son to create all things, God the Father will work through Jesus Christ to save all people who put their living hope and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Is that you? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the Word. This text demonstrates Jesus' divinity, his necessity, his humility, and his victory. You see, on the journey, though, for the message to the neighborhood, the message to the neighborhood doesn't start for those that are around us. It starts in our heart, own hearts inside of us. Who do you say that Jesus is today? Genuinely, who do you see that Jesus is? Are you, yeah, are you not just informed about Jesus? But have you been transformed about Jesus? Have you been transformed by the gospel? Does your life reflect this transformation? Because when it comes to the power of the gospel... We aren't just to receive it, we're called to live it. Because even if I believe that Jesus is God in my own head, have I allowed that truth to transform my heart in a way that has transformed my life and changed the way that I live? Am I living my life in a way that depicts the reality and displays the sovereignty of Jesus' divinity? In a way that gives authenticity to the message that I might proclaim with my lips if I choose to? because my life must match my lips. Because if we're gonna be a messenger to the neighborhood and all they see is how is your language isn't any different than those that don't claim Christ, your actions aren't any different than don't claim Christ, your priorities aren't any different, so what's the big deal about this Jesus guy? If you really say he's God, why are you living as if he's not? And is that you and I today? Does your life authenticate the authority of the gospel and God. As, a moder- as the modern messenger of the gospel, which we are the sent ones, is your heart in alignment with the gospel and is your life authenticating the gospel? Let's ask ourselves these five questions right now and, and just they're retrospective. I would encourage you to write them down or take a picture of them and really contemplate them with your, yourself, your spouse, your family in your quiet times this week, in your small groups maybe. Ask yourself this, am I currently surrendering and submitting every part of my life under his authority, his being Jesus's? Because Jesus is God, if we're gonna claim it, we need to live it, don't we? Because man, Christians can be some big hypocrites occasionally, can't we? We can, I can. It's not easy to surrender or to give up control, that's kind of the point of the whole thing. Am I currently surrendering my finances and my time and my priorities? Every aspect of my life. Or am I saying, Jesus, you can have my, my church life, but you can't have my work life. Jesus, you can, you can have my, how I act in a small group, but you can't have how I act around the guys or the girls that I hang out with 
during happy hour or when I'm playing hoops? Am I submitting every aspect? Am I giving up control? Where are you not giving up control? If Jesus is God, but you're fighting for control, actually you're saying that you yourself are God and Jesus is not in those areas. Where are you not giving up control? Control looks like, Jesus, what would you have me do with my money? What would you have me do with my time and my relationships? And living for him. Second question, am I currently faithfully reading and obeying the word of God daily? Jesus is the word. The word logos, but the word is also written word. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises, but he has given us the word of God. Praise God, amen, right? And so we have the physical, tangible word of God that is divinely inspired. Am I going to it daily and seeking its guidance? And then am I humbling myself and positioning myself in humility under it and obeying it? If, I'm, if Jesus really is God, shouldn't we be going to him daily to find, God, what do you want me to do today? What does your word say? How do I handle this situation? And allowing it to dictate my response. Again, Jesus says this in John 14. He's in the upper room right before he goes to the cross. John 14, 50. If you love me, you'll do what? You will keep my commandments. Jesus isn't looking for lip service. He's looking for life service. We can raise our hands, we can, we can quote scripture, we can do all this, but have your life been changed under the reality that Jesus is God and such that your desires are to live out his commands on a daily basis? Even the demons say that Jesus is God. <laughs> You're like, I don't know what to do in this situation. Praise God, he's given us his word. God's word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path, right? Are you looking to it? What do I do in this situation? Are you going to God's word? One step in front of you. You might not have the whole play. None of us do. I don't know what's going to happen a week from now, 10 years from now. But in this next decision, God's word will illuminate the step that he wants me to take in faith. Are you trusting? Because that's the third question. Am I trusting God's character and applying God's promises in each of my daily circumstances and situations? If Jesus is a fulfillment of God's promises like we claim that he is, we can trust God's promises, right? God keeps his promises. So in my struggles and in my pain, in my, in my wrestling, and all of us wrestle, there is no shame in struggling. There is no shame in being weary today. There is no shame in wrestling. There is no shame in hurting. All of us are in that place in some way. Praise God for biblical community, but am I going to God's promises or am I trying to do it myself, right? Am I going to the world's help desk of Dr. Phil or Oprah or whatever, or am I going to the promises of God which have never changed, will never change, are always true, and will carry the day? Am I trusting in God's never-changing character or just the world's flimsy, ever-changing culture? Where is your trust anchored today? Because if Jesus is God, shouldn't we be anchoring our trust in him? Shouldn't he be the source of it? Is your life reflecting that reality or are you just proclaiming and saying that without actually doing that. Where in your life, what difficulties, struggles, uncertainties do you need to anchor in the unchanging character of God today? And write them down this week. Write a promise of God next to your fear. It's okay to be fearful. Fear, fear is real. But how do we respond to that fear? How do we respond to the anxiety? How do we respond to the worry? Go to God's word. Fourth question, am I looking at every aspect of my life and world around me with a gospel heart and perspective? That means I want God's glory more than I want life to be easy. 
that I want to love my neighbor even when he doesn't want to love me because God loved me even when I didn't want to love God. That I choose to forgive when all aspects of my heart want revenge or vengeance. That I choose to release the other person of the burden that they, they, that they had when they hurt me because God did that for me. That I get out of my comfort zone and go tell people about the one who broke through for them because someone somewhere did that for me. Because I love them and I want them to have a restored relationship with Jesus just like me. That I'm trusting that in every sickness and in illness that God has a plan for it that I might not be able to see right now. That in every tragic situation that God is still at work for his glory and his character is unchanging even as I'm grieving. Fifth and finally, am I genuinely seeking Jesus in every situation in my life? Like, is he my go-to? Am I asking him to lead me, to sustain me? Is prayer my first response or my last resort, if I'm praying at all? Am I running to biblical community, the, the gift that God has given me in the church? Well, we aren't perfect, we're far from it. Man, we're in this together and we need each other. What a gift God's given us. Jesus is a revelation of God and he provides our redemption through God, praise him. Who Jesus is to me determines everything for me. It determines how I live and, and how I walk. The second part of, of John's message here to the neighborhood is this. Jesus is not just the word, but he's the life. Look with me at verses three and four. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Nothing was made outside of Jesus. Not the smallest amoeba to the biggest animal. Jesus made it all. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. You can't have true life without Jesus. But we try, don't we? Without Jesus was not anything made that was made. Verse 3. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. We try to find life in our hobbies, in our jobs, in our cars, in our boats, in pills, in addictions, in bottles, in sexual relationships, in vacation homes, in looking to solve the hurt that is within us, to release the tension that is inside of us, or to find the help that we desperately need or the purpose that we're yearning for. But man, all of those things fail us, don't they? Because what happens when I blow out my knee and the scholarship goes away? What happens when my dream job is absorbed by another company? What happens when the stock market tanks and my money goes with it? What happens when the, when the significant other that I poured my heart into decides it's no longer in their best interest to have a relationship with me? What happens when a family member it just passes away? What happens when all of my hope has been placed in something that is temporary? as opposed to something that will last for eternity. Where is your hope? All of those good things are great in many, many ways, but they can't fill the God-shaped hole inside of your heart that you're yearning for right now. None of them save, none of them satisfy, none of them can give you the hope and the peace that only Jesus can. 
Life is a key theme in the Gospel of John. The word is used 36 times throughout the entire Gospel. Jesus wants you to have life. I don't know how you feel today about life. I don't know how you feel about the situations you are in, or if you feel like there's nothing to live for, or if you feel like, man, life will never be the same, or life, I can't get better, or life, life, because of this. Or that. Jesus says, no, there is abundant life available for you today, and it's found in and through me. In the Gospel of John, it's, Jesus is very clear about a couple different types of life he offers. One of them is, is eternal life. He offers us eternal life. Two types of life Jesus offers us. Very familiar verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Praise God, amen. Man, we say you are loved at the end of every service. Why? Because you are loved. It's a reality. For God so loved the who? The world. Everybody. It's universal. There is not a person in this world that God does not love. But it's also personal. That whoever believes, you have to make a choice. Whoever chooses to believe, and will you choose today? Who, do you, who does Jesus to you? Like, you got to make a choice to believe. Whoever chooses should not perish, but will have eternal life. What a promise. God made a choice, and he chose you. He chose to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. Will you choose a God and choose to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Heaven is real, and so is hell. And eternity is a long time to be wrong about it. And we never know. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. I have an acquaintance that I found out yesterday. It's, it's, I'm not like BFFs with him, but I'm, I know him. And he was like, I was about to go to a game with my family, and I went to knock on the, my 17-year-old door to take him to the game, and he wasn't breathing anymore. Life is short. Who do you say that Jesus is? Eternity is a long time to be wrong about Jesus. Who do you say that he is? Will you believe? He's the only way to God. John 14, 6, in the upper room, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I don't care how, Jesus is like, I don't care how, how many synagogue trips you've had. I don't, know, I don't care how many Bible verses you have memorized. I don't, I don't care how much money you put in the offering plate. I mean, all those things are good things as they overflow out of salvation, but none of them can earn salvation. Only through me. And you might go, man, it's, I feel so unloved that there's only one way to God. I feel very loved because there is any way to God, right? We don't deserve that. Praise God. Will you choose to believe? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior to access the eternal life that he offers? Jesus is a pathway to life and he is life itself. Because the second thing that he, Jesus says about life is that he has come to give us abundant life. John 10, 10. Jesus is abundant life. The thief comes only to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they, they being you, and I have life and have it abundantly. Jesus wants you to experience life eternally forever, and he wants to ex- you to experience life abundantly here on earth. The mercy that is new every morning, praise God, amen. The steadfast love that never ceases. The forgiveness that never runs out. God never gets tired of forgiving us when we confess our sins 
and he's taking our sins and throwing them as far as the east is from the west, overflowing with goodness of God, experiencing peace in the difficulties and problems of life, hope in the middle of heartache. All of those things are found in and through Jesus' purpose. You want purpose? Jesus is like, I got a mission for you. What am I have to live for? Here's the mission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go to your neighbors and tell them about me. That is, and there's no greater importance. But man, we can struggle with abundant life, can't we? It's right there for us if we choose to believe. Who is Jesus to you? I, I think abundant life is found in the next promotion at work. No, it's not. I hope you get it, but no, it's not. I hope abundant life is found if my team wins. Man, it's great, but you know what? There's another game next week. It's never enough. You'll find yourself succumbing to the God of just a little bit more. So what are some common roadblocks that we need to avoid on our journey to abundant life? And again, remember, these are like John 10.10 10 says, the thieves come to the world, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? So here, stolen joy. How do I, with the roadblock of a stolen joy, it means that I allow my circumstance to steal the joy that Christ so freely gives me. Is that you today? And we're not diminishing or lowering the circumstances. We, the world is dark. The world is hard. Many of us right now are walking through difficult things. And if you're not, you're either coming out of it or you're about to go into it, right? But that doesn't mean that we can't have joy in the middle of it all because we have Jesus through it all. Emmanuel, God with us, right? Always and forever. Fighting for us, upholding us, carrying us. That is our Savior, Jesus Christ. He comes to save, but he also secures and he strengthens and he sustains. Put your joy in him. Killed testimony. I live for the world and not Jesus. I say I love Jesus, but my life sings and speaks a very different story and I'm killing my testimony on a daily basis. Therefore, I'm missing out on the abundant life because I'm giving in to what the world is throwing at me. Jesus in, the, in Matthew 5, 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Where are you seeking your satisfaction and anchoring your satisfaction? Abundant life finds its satisfaction in the presence of Jesus, not the absence of physical things that we long for, whether it be good health, decent money in the bank account, successful, perfect family to post on social media, right? No. Last roadblock, destroyed humility. The world comes to, th thieves come to steal, kill, destroy, destroyed humility. What is that? It means I think life is all about me. It's a life of pride. And God's word teaches that God opposes the proud, but he lifts up the humble. These are all issues of the heart. Where is your heart finding life right now? Abundant life is possible for you, but you need to choose to surrender control of your life to God who is above you. Abundant life is experienced through gospel centrality that every part of my heart, mind, emotions, heart, will, strength, true relationships, finances are anchored in Jesus Christ and the gospel. That God is not just another one of these things or Jesus isn't just another spoke of my wheel or the gospel, but it's at the center. And my family is anchored in it. My finances are anchored in it. My hobbies are anchored in it. My job is anchored in it. My identity is anchored in it. And second aspect is gospel consistency. That I am the same at home, at work, 
out on the streets, doing hobbies on social media, that I'm living for the Lord in every one of these places, at church, at school. There is a consistency of the gospel's priority in my heart, my life, no matter who I'm talking to and who's around me. That's the abundant life. That's the fruit of the abundant life. Is that you? Jesus is what you've been looking for, even if you've been denying him to this point or ignoring him or saying, I can't possibly know anything about Jesus or who is he? He loves you. He died for you. And he wants you to find life in and through him right now. Life eternally and life abundantly. Jesus is here to provide it faithfully. Amen. Praise God. Will you choose to believe in him? Will you choose to respond to him? Because who Jesus is to me determines everything for me. The third part of John's message to the neighborhood is not just that Jesus is the word, which is awesome, right? And Jesus is the life. But we see right here in verses four and five, Jesus is the light. That light of men flows out of the life. The light, verse five, shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Once again, darkness is everywhere, is it not in our world? Just open the front door, turn on the news, just go throughout your daily life and all you see this influx of murder, corruption, sickness, illness, animosity, racism, political hostility, abuse, and on and on and on. All of them are an overflow and a result of the sin that is permeating our world. Sin is dark. Darkness, by definition, is the absence of light, right? It's the absence of Jesus Christ. It's the absence of the priority of Jesus. Biblically speaking, darkness is the absence of the gospel, of Jesus, of the love of God. And I don't know what darkness is around you or closing in on you today. I just know that Jesus is here to deliver you today. Amen. Praise God. He's done it before, all in this text, and he will do it again. Praise God. We have to choose to believe. You have to choose to go to him. You have to choose to trust him. You have to choose to anchor in him. Because this promise right here, circle it, highlight it, memorize it, claim it. Pray it, say, Satan, get out of here because in the name of Jesus Christ, the the light of Jesus shines and your darkness cannot and will not overcome it. Praise God, amen. That is power in the name of Jesus. That is light in the name of Jesus. That is life in the name of Jesus. And that is the word that is Jesus. That's the promise. I don't know what your darkness is. I just know that it can't overcome the light of Jesus Christ. What's really cool here in verse five are the verb tenses. If you want a grammar, a grammar geek out, right? That's awesome. But the light shines right here in the Greek. It's a present verb. That means that the light is still shining in the darkness. Like the light that shone back then is the same light that's shining now and will continue to shine and continue to shine and continue to shine. No matter how dark the world gets or what political decisions are or are not made or whatever happens around us, the light of Jesus Christ will continue to shine. Praise God. We can anchor in that. No matter how popular Jesus is or isn't, the light of Jesus will shine because it's a promise. Anchor in that, whatever you're walking through. And then darkness did not overcome it. That the, the verb usage, the, te, the, present, the tense right there that John uses is a completed action. That means that the darkness did everything it could stop to try to stop Jesus. It infiltrated his inner 12. It had people there that sold him out, that denied him, that backstabbed him, that betrayed him, that left him, that abandoned him, but it still could not stop the work of God in him and through him to save you and I forever. It threw the kitchen sink at him and it couldn't hold a candle to him because that's our God.
Praise God, amen. And that is the light of Jesus that is available to you and I today. Whatever that darkness is in your life, it has been defeated by the power of Jesus Christ. So let's stop playing victim to it and let's start claiming victory over it because that victory has already been won by Jesus Christ and is available to us and for us because Jesus purchased it for us. What a God we have, amen? That's the light of the life. Didn't overcome it. Jesus later in John, John 8, 12, he said this, he spoke to them and he's speaking to you and I, and Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now he's not saying hard things won't happen, bad things won't happen. His followers got decapitated. They were murdered. They were martyred. They were outcasts. They had to leave their homes. They had to flee persecution. He's in fact in the upper room said, you will, ha- you will be hated just like I was hated. The world will hate you. But that doesn't define the darkness. That can't take away the light that Jesus gives you. Because when you put your trust in him, God, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you forever. Praise God for that. The darkness inside you today, friends, is optional. Let's stop giving it the power that it, know, that it does not have. When it comes to the light of Christ, we aren't just called to receive it. And where do you need to anchor in that today? We're also then called to reflect it. To be mirrors of the light in the life of Christ to all those around us, to our neighbors. So the message comes first to us in our hearts and in our lives, and then it should go through us to all those that are around us. God's light is actively shining. Are you actively reflecting? Jesus offers us eternal life, abundant life, and he also offers us a purpose-filled missional life. John 20, 21, we looked at it last week. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send who? You. Me. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says this about light and about you and I. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You, friends, are the light of the world. He's talking to you and I. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do the people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Friends, we are called to shine brightly, and we are called to share boldly the hope and the light and the life that is found in and through Jesus Christ exclusively, but faithfully and abundantly. Will you do that? God has sent you into your neighborhood to be the light on that hill, to shine brightly to your neighbors around you. He sent you into your workplaces, you into your school systems, you into your job places, you into your gyms that you go to, you into all the hobbies and wherever you go, on the plane rides that you're on, to be the light of the world, to reflect the love of God. It's not about convenience. It's about commitment and conviction. It's about obedience. It's about worship. Mission is an overflow of worship, and it's also an act of worship. Our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers are living today in the darkness. Jesus is asking us to show them into the light. Will we, can we do that? Yes. Will we do that? I don't know. I hope so, but you have to choose. Who is Jesus to you? If he is God, God the Father, if he reigns over you, he's giving you a direct order. He's giving you a commission and a command to go be the light 
to reflect the light that God has given. And he will give you the words. He will give you the strength. Will you choose to obey it? And I pray that you would choose to find joy in it because it's a heart and an act of worship. So here, just a reminder, we, we, we introduced last week and to reiterate right now, we want to very practically have some ways this Christmas season at Harvest that we are reflecting the light, that we are shining our light to a world that is in darkness. How? Well, the Christmas challenge, Pastor Andrew referred to it initially um, in, during our announcements, and you'll see this, you'll see again, the Connect Four Christmas challenge as, as a, a paper, a flyer, a card on your chair. I, I really want to encourage you to participate in this. Basically, it's a way to do the good works of God, not to do just good works in and of themselves, but in a way that gives glory to God and shares the message of hope of God. I know some people have already gotten started. The goal, again, is to do four in a row, up, down, vertically, horizontally, diagonally, just like you would a Connect Four board. You can do all of them. You can do more. You can, you can create your own adventure in here and write them in. This is not meant to be legalistic. It's meant to be missional. And it's meant to be communal. My challenge is that 50 of us, at least, if not more, do this and return it to a basket in the back by December 24th, and you'll be entered to win a gift card at the end there. But don't do it just for the gift card, although my seven-year-old is all about the gift card. And you know what? We'll start there. <laughs> we'll, eh, whatever gets them going, right? Uh, you know, but the heart is to bless a neighbor, to share the gospel, to invite the church. All of this should be accompanied with a Christmas Eve invite card. Many of them are on your chairs. Take at least four or five of them. Give them out this week, next week. Hey, we love you. Why are you bringing me cookies? Because I love you. Jesus loves you. I would love for you to come worship with me on a Sunday or on Christmas Eve. But I pray that God would work in a powerful way. Some of our folks have already gotten off to a raging start here. You'll see a picture of it behind the screen here um, of a couple of the, the ways, of the gift baskets that some people have left, right? So people are off and running, man. Come on, you can, you can join them. We would love to hear your stories. We would love to hear how God is at work. And it is a stretch. Yes, it's called sanctification, right? It's called living on mission in a way that takes the top off of the light, right? Don't put your light under the stand, under the basket. There's no clarification. If you're an introvert, it's okay. You can have your light under a basket. If you're an extrovert, it's okay. No, he's a command to all of us. Because the hope of the gospel is that important to us. And because Jesus is Lord over all of us. So will you do this? I pray that you will. And get excited about it. Have some fun with it. Who are you inviting to Christmas Eve? People are open. They're willing. And I believe that they're going to come. So the Christmas challenge, and there's more information. Uh, you can scan the QR code. You can go online. You can go on our Facebook account. There are, there are lots of different aspects that you can get more information on. And there's a longer-term video that, that Pastor Andrew and I put together. You can find more information about it. But I really want you to embrace it, not just this, the challenge in and of itself, but the heart of it, to be a light, to share the hope, to listen, to pray, to get to know. Another tangible opportunity we have is through end-of-year giving. You'll see that as a card on your, ta- on your chair, too. The challenge is above and beyond our normal giving. Above and beyond that, to give five, to raise $5,000 cumulatively, collectively, whether it's inside the church or outside, maybe you have a friend or relative that would like to get on board, to help share the light of the gospel to those that are in need in the nations and the neighborhoods. So part of these $2,500 of this $5,000 is going to go to be local, to outreach, to shine the light into our communities, to equip our small groups with a pool of resources, to meet felt needs in our communities, in our schools, in our streets, right here in Maryland, all around us. 
and the other $2,500 to go to the nations and to equip our church planting partner in the Dominican Republic with Pastor Goomer at the church plant of Hato Mayor in the, in the city of Santiago, Dominican Republic, a church that we prayed over, that four of us who were on a mission trip prayed over in the, street, in the streets in July, a church that was planted in October. And can I tell you what? Pastor Groomer last week messaged me on Sunday evening and said, I got some good news for you. At service today in the church point of Hato Mayor, two people gave their lives to the Lord. That's awesome, amen? Praise God. And so friends, I want you to know this. You are church planters. You are church planters. This is, we have a privilege of playing a small role in the grand work that God is doing as he builds his church. Every dollar you give is going to advance the kingdom of God. And it's worth it, isn't it? It's worth it to see lives change and communities transform because what is a nation to us in the Dominican Republic is a neighborhood to them, right? It's they are planting a church in a new neighborhood where people, there was no pre-existing church, gospel-believing, Christ-preaching church. And we see God is already at work. So as we think about giving and any money given above the $5,000 will go to help supplement our, our budget current shortfall. But I, I think the question not just is God, what would you have me give? But the better question is God, what wouldn't you have me give, right? Because what wouldn't you give to see lives change and transform for all of eternity through Jesus Christ? And if every resource we have is God's, Ask him what he would have us to do or ask him, what should I hold back and let me give the rest. And yes, I'm calling us and challenging us to give and give generously, not just now, but always. But yes, now, because generosity is the hallmark of the gospel. God gave all. He gave his son. He gave his best. And man, can't we give our all as well? Who is Jesus to you? Peter says it to you and I this way. He says in 1 Peter 2.9, to a people that were under incredible persecution, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people in order, here's the purpose, that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God called you to save you and he called you to send you with a purpose purpose-filled life that is the abundant life that, leads, that is, flows out of the eternal life that Jesus has given you because he is the life and he is the light and he is the word who has given us a word to go forth and share the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will we? Will you? Because at the end of the day, it's not really about you. It's about him. And it's about all those that are around us. We've been in darkness before and God broke through once. In Isaiah 9, it says, the people who were walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has the light shone. The people that through their sin have been led to captivity because sin has consequences. But here's the hope a few verses later. You might be familiar with this. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government shall be on his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, he will do this. What a promise, amen? Out of darkness into light. Jesus changes everything for you. My question is, who is Jesus to you? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he your Lord? And you don't have to know everything. You just have to know the main thing. 
that we are sinners in need of a savior and Jesus is our savior. That he was fully God, fully man. He came to pay the price that you and I could not pay on the cross because he wants to spend eternity with you. Will you choose to believe right now? Jesus once asked his disciples in Matthew 16, 8, he said, Jesus asked his disciples, who, who do they say that the Son of Man is? Who do the people say? The disciples replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he looked at them. And he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, the leader that he was, and all of his shortcomings, declared this proclamation of belief. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, on you, Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Out of our belief, Jesus builds his church. Who do you say that Jesus is? Not who do your parents say, not who your spouse says, not what the church says, not what your neighbors said, but who today do you personally say that Jesus is? It's a personal decision. And maybe you've been wondering or wondering today, will you choose to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? And that will change everything for you. Or maybe you've been wandering and your priorities have gotten out of whack and you gave a profession of faith genuinely a long time ago, but man, you've been living for yourself. Come back today to the centrality of the reality that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Resubmit your life under him and begin afresh to live your life for him. Will you do that? The reflection of the gospel flows out of the remembrance of the gospel. So we're going to take communion right now. Would you get your cups out right now? Communion is all about reflection and remembrance remembrance of the reality of the gospel that Jesus was the son of God he was the word he was the life and he was the light and he died for you and me and then he reigned was risen to reign for all of eternity and the reality is Jesus just wasn't was Jesus is right and he always will be the cup bread, the wafer at the top, is Jesus' body broken for you. Jesus said in the upper room, always eat this in remembrance of me. Before we eat this, I wanna, we're going to have a time of reflection right now. Who is Jesus to you? At Harvest, we practice open communion. That means you don't have to be a member here to, to participate in communion. But we do ask that you have a personal relationship with the Lord to participate in communion. And if you've never made that personal statement of faith or confession, we would ask that you politely and graciously refrain. But my heart and Jesus' heart is that you would choose to make that decision right now if you've never made it before. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. So right now, Amy's going to continue to play. Would you just sort of bow your heads? Would you just ask Jesus to reveal to you any, any unconfessed sin in your heart? Or maybe areas of your life that you have not been confessing or living Jesus as Lord? and ask for Jesus to be Lord, maybe of the totality of your life, or maybe there's one specific area of your life that the Lord puts on your heart and say, Jesus, I give this back to you. Please forgive me for not honoring you in this way and seeking you. And then in about a little bit, 
I'll close that in prayer and lead us to eat this wafer in honor and this bread in honor of Jesus Christ in remembrance. Father, we just thank you for the reality of the gospel. That into our mess, you came as a messenger, you came as a message, you came on a mission to provide reconciliation back to the original relationship that we had with you through your son, Jesus Christ. We confess our sins before you. We confess that in so many aspects of our life, we have not lived for you in every way. And God, we remember and we recommit our lives to you right now. In your name we pray. Go ahead and eat this bread in remembrance of Jesus Christ. His body was broken for you. Later in John chapter 1, John the Baptist, who we'll look at next week, saw Jesus coming. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus poured out his entire body for you and he did not spare a drop of blood. This juice is to remember the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled for you. And in that aspect of commitment, would you now just take time with the Lord, bow your heads, just you and the Lord. And ask the Lord who he would have you shine the light, the hope of the gospel with this week. And commit to it. Jesus spared no blood. Forgive us, God, for so often allowing time or worry, insecurities to get in the way of sharing and reflecting your light. To who? Ask God to put someone or some multiple ones on your heart maybe you know their name maybe they don't to reflect the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ with this week Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples and he poured the wine, poured the juice, and he said, when you drink this, drink this in remembrance of me, the reality that I poured out my blood for you. Would you drink the juice now in remembrance of the blood that Jesus poured out for you? Father, we love you. We come before you now and just humbled at your sacrifice. You are the word. You are the life. You are the light. You are the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. You are the Son of the living God. You are the Alpha. You are the Omega. You are I Am. Father, we love you. And Father, we look to you. 
Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for creation. Thank you for the thread and the heart of hope and life that you continue to go avish upon us that even when we fall short, you pursue us and you make a way. You broke through the darkness before and you're breaking through the darkness now. God, we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.